Hey everyone, welcome back to Mission Daily. I'm Chad Grills, CEO of Mission and your host of Mission Daily. In today's episode, we have an interview that is timely to say the least. So with everything going on right now with the epidemic, we interviewed Brad Bostic. Brad is the CEO of HC1, which is a healthcare company doing big things in the space of personalized medicine and predictive diagnostics. So they have some of the largest data sets in the world that are growing by leaps and bounds every single day. And they are currently aggregating real-time data about the pandemic and about what's being done and using that to build better visualizations and better predictive analytics for doctors and healthcare companies everywhere. In this interview, Brad talks about the origins of his entrepreneurial journey, how he started his first company back in 1995, and how advice from his father-in-law shaped the trajectory of this current company. We also talk about how you might wanna ignore feedback from your market in the early days of any entrepreneurial journey. We talk about the future of healthcare and medicine, and as well as Brad's philosophy and mine that even with everything we're facing right now, this too shall pass. Enjoy today's episode and let's jump into it. Today's thank you for sponsorship and world-class products and services goes out to Trinet. I'm the founder of a media business and I need all the help and organization I can get. One of the biggest problems I've faced in the past is HR. I say past because I'm not facing it anymore. I educated myself and got the team at Trinet on my side. Trinet and their expert team help us at mission with our payroll, benefits, and compliance. Trinet offers full-service HR solutions tailored to your industry. So educate yourself and get the HR help you need. Whether your team is 10 people or 1,000, Trinet has you covered. Check out Trinet for your HR needs today. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Right back at you. So where are you calling in from today? I am in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is where HC1 is headquartered. Okay, great. And how, with all the craziness going on out there, how are the working from home situations going and uh, how are you holding up? Yeah, so our team is really working well remotely. We are cloud native technology company, so we're really set up to be able to do our work from anywhere. And so the transition has been smooth. And on top of that, we work in the healthcare industry as a bioinformatics company. And a large amount of our work is specific to diagnostic laboratory data. So we're actually uh, working on a lot of initiatives that relate directly to the COVID-19 pandemic and putting information services in place to help support the response to that. So you've been in the, the cloud space for a long time, I guess, back in 1995 when you started your first company. Uh, I'm curious, like, what were your origins in the technology world and how did this world kind of first get on your radar? Yeah, so I've been in the cloud space since way before it was called cloud. <laughs> <laughs> when on-prem ruled the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, really got involved though with using technology back when I was in middle school. I was fortunate to have really supportive parents and they knew I was interested in technology. So I got an IBM PS1 computer and the rest was kind of history. I was always fascinated by the fact that you could leverage technology to do things and 
a more efficient and effective way. And when I was at Indiana University, just really good timing, I kind of won the lottery in terms of timing uh, in that I had been using technology to access services over a network. Back then, you would use Telnet and other kinds of more archaic methods, but nonetheless, uh, we're able to connect and, and access information in a very efficient manner. And I remember getting back to campus uh, after summer break, and there were all these computers in the computer lab that had this thing called Netscape on them. And you know that really kind of changed everything in terms of seeing that <clears throat> this gave an interface to the internet that would make it so it was accessible to anybody, you know, even non-technical people. And so being a college student immediately identified a very efficient part of our process, which was buying college textbooks. And so my first company in 1995 actually sold college textbooks uh, over the web. That's kind of what lit the fuse for me. And I've been working with bringing efficiency and capabilities uh, ever since using technology. Very cool. And so bioinformatics sounds incredibly complicated. I'm sure it is. How did you go from founding that first company to taking the steps that uh, led your path to where you're at today? Yeah, I think like anybody, if you are interested in doing something important, you tend to gravitate toward hard issues that affect a lot of people. And so healthcare was an area that I was attracted to and ended up meeting a, an individual uh, named Dr. Dan Grossman, who at the time was a friend of mine and a, a, I played football and it was a, my college teammate's uncle. Uh, and uh, this Dr. Grossman was incredibly visionary and I actually ended up um, marrying his daughter who I've been married to now for 22 years. And oh, wow. so back then, though, uh, uh, Dr. Grossman and I would talk about the way that this technology that was emerging with the web could impact healthcare. And he had all of the knowledge as a both surgeon and business person in healthcare who had built surgery centers and done other things. He knew a lot about the healthcare insurance world and about how care models were changing and they needed to get more efficient. And so I was just at the right place and at the right time getting that uh, kind of uh, guidance and input. And then along the way, uh, actually uh, ended up going to work for Ernst & Young doing consulting services where I also got exposed to healthcare. Uh, and then my mom ended up getting sick. Uh, she had an advanced cancer, stage four cancer diagnosis. And so I kind of lived directly through her experience while I was also working in the healthcare industry. And seeing how many hardworking caregivers were out there trying their best, but really struggling because healthcare was so siloed, really for me created a passion to go out there and create capabilities that could make healthcare more personalized. And I'd say that was the point at which it really catalyzed for me that I was going to dedicate my career and, and life to making healthcare better. And having had a technology background and also having worked in creating a, uh, a web-based model that was all about delivering a personalized experience, uh, that was the path that I decided to go down is, you know, why is it that when you order a teddy bear on Amazon, it's treated like it's life or death that they deliver it to you on time, but you go through a healthcare experience where it may be life or death and you're treated like a number. 
Right. So I, I took that experience and really channeled it into building this career path. And along the way, had a, a, a just really voracious appetite for learning and, and knowledge and have been able to work with some of the best and brightest in the world, both on the technology and healthcare side, and ultimately have formulated an approach that allows us to personalize healthcare for tens of millions of, of people per year. Uh, so it's been quite a journey, but we're making huge progress. That's really exciting. And you know, thank you for sharing the personal aspect of your story there with your mother and her struggles, because I think often in entrepreneurship, we forget that the best Long, longest lasting solutions are born out of, you know, intense personal pain and anguish that the entrepreneur transmutes into, you know, a solution. So how did those, you know, personal experiences, uh, because this is a huge problem that you're trying to solve. How did they give you the energy in the early days of getting HC1 started to persevere when I'm sure some people around you were telling you, like, don't bother, take the easier path. How did you, you know, channel that into perseverance? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting how things have unfolded. When I originally experienced this confluence of factors, seeing the, the personal impact of how siloed healthcare was firsthand, and then alongside of that, uh, being in a mode where I was really working to launch my own career, uh, it, it, it wasn't as though I had a crystal ball by any stretch. It was like I knew that we needed to head north and it was going to be a million steps to get anywhere. And uh, certainly having that personal connection coupled with the professional knowledge is what sets you up to have a chance to go do something big. And, and I've been fortunate to have you know great parents and, and great influences along the way that have given me the possibility to go after doing something really important. But it helps a lot when you see how challenging healthcare is to have that inspiration that comes from a personal tragedy, really. Uh, and you have a couple of choices. One is you can kind of sit around and complain and be discouraged, uh, or you can channel that in a path where you can say, hey, I'll make make a difference. So uh, that personal connection absolutely has a lot to do with the persistence and perseverance that it takes. So early on, I actually had this conversation with some healthcare executives and and really learned that back in the, the 2000 timeframe, when fee-for-service prevailed, meaning that the way that healthcare organizations, doctors, and health systems made money was... 100% focused on the amount of volume that they had of procedures and patients. Every time a procedure or a test happened, they would ring the cash register. And that was just the way that the entire payment model was set up. And as, you, as it turns out, uh, incentive drives behavior. So I would sit with folks that would be very intellectually interested in what I was describing about, hey, what if we could work together to make it so that we could personalize the way your patients are engaged? And so it's more like, what's emerging with the web, you know, which back in the early 2000s, people weren't even really sure yet whether or not the web was a fad, right? Right. So uh, in going down that path, uh, candidly, there was a lot of negative feedback. You know, a lot of people would say, gosh, that's really interesting. I, you know, that's neat, but we, we just, we can't invest into something that personalizes healthcare that way. We're doing fine the way we are and the way we get, you know, paid is based on volume. 
as, as we moved down the path, though, I didn't get discouraged by that. I just realized that there were some things that needed to evolve in the industry to get people to really focus on making healthcare more personalized. And it was about 2009 where it hit me that this idea of value-based care was really happening and that the train had left the station on that. And the difference is huge as it relates to incentives. So in a fee-for-service model, you're paid in healthcare for every single activity you perform. Even if I show up three days in a row for the same thing, I continue to trigger a, an event of payment for the physician. In a, in a value-based model, it flips that completely the, the other way and says, you're not going to be rewarded for volume as a healthcare provider. You're going to be rewarded for quality, and for delivering the most effective approach to efficiently keeping people healthy. So literally, you'll get a bonus if you make people healthy, and you'll get penalized if you have things like having to do a treatment for an individual for the same uh, condition multiple times within, say, a 30-day window. And so as I saw that was happening, I realized that that was the time to really start ramping up for this. Um, so that's where I started formulating this idea for what I called Health Cloud One. And Health Cloud One was all about bringing together a lot of data to zero in on those individual patients who could get a better outcome through more precise diagnostic testing. So making sure people are diagnosed earlier proactively so you can prevent illness instead of waiting for them to get sick. Uh, and then in addition to that, moving into optimizing the actual medications people are getting so that if you're getting the right test and the right prescription, you're going to ultimately have a much better outcome. So it's a long, arduous journey. And that explanation I just gave is actually the short version, uh, <laughs> but it's been informed and influenced by lots of different people. And the persistence certainly comes a lot from that personal inspiration. Sure. And Brad, when you were in the early days of the company and thinking about building your team and uh, investors and go-to-market strategy and first products and things like that, where were you getting a lot of your information and advice? I know you mentioned your father-in-law and conversations with medical experts. What was the, uh, the creation process like and, and what was your learning process like in those early days? So in the early days uh, with HC1, the... First of all, I had to really be careful not to inform what we were planning to do very much at that stage by people who were actually working in healthcare day-to-day, -day, which might sound a little bit counterintuitive, but sometimes when you're so close to things and you're so connected to how they've always worked, you can't really see clearly how they could work differently. Mm -hmm. And so we, we literally um, started tuning out any feedback that we were getting at that time from a lot of the existing healthcare establishment and just decided we have got to find the data set that is the most uh, pervasive across all of healthcare that we know is going to be in a digital format that we can use to construct the profiles that tell us something about what's happening with the health of all patients across a population. And that's a pretty lofty idea. And usually when people start going down that path, they get all bogged down by all the tricks of getting connected with the electronic medical record and 
you know, the, the challenges of working with healthcare systems and their IT departments. Um, what I really uh, was able to identify that, that I think and it has ended up being the real fuel uh, and the focus to, to why our organization has grown so rapidly is that if you go to see a doctor, regardless of whether you're healthy or you're sick or you're somewhere in between, the one thing they will always do is run some lab tests. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, those lab tests generate incredibly interesting, valuable information about you as a patient. And so we zeroed in on that and said, I am going to build the largest, smartest, connected set of lab data that is going to use advanced machine learning to organize that into a rich health matrix to where we can truly understand the relationships and behaviors among these providers and patients they're serving and how ultimately those relationships and behaviors impact how healthy those populations are or unhealthy. And that was the initial thesis. And I can tell you, people would look at me with a pretty confused look on their face when I would say, we're focusing on using lab data. People would think, well, gosh, you know, the lab is in the basement and it smells bad down there. And you know, it's, it's not a huge part of the spend within the hospital because people are usually focused on where can they just cut costs out. And what I think a lot of people didn't understand back then and that we've really illuminated now is if you have access to a massive scale of organized lab data, you can see where those individuals are who are even most likely or hi- most highly predisposed to having future health complications like kidney disease, which can ultimately result in dialysis and really bad outcomes, the lab data is like gold that allows us to predict those sorts of um, occurrences and get ahead of the curve on them. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the early um, you know, aha moment that, that unlocked a path for us that was unique because nobody else really knew how to do that. And now we're so far down the path and so far ahead of anybody else Uh, We've got over 19 billion diagnostic lab results in our platform across over 160 million unique patients, and that's growing every month by, uh, gosh, hundreds of millions of additional diagnostic results. And we're not just putting that in a database. We're processing it securely with this advanced machine learning uh, that we've created uh, using our, our models and and the training from the data so that we can truly identify where these issues exist and make healthcare better. Hey everybody, we're taking a time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. If there's one thing I am about, and in fact, one thing the whole mission team is about, you know it's accelerated learning. One way I do that is by learning from the best. When it comes to learning about HR, the team and resources Trinet provides are my go-to source. Just this week, Trinet published a blog and webinar series to help small and medium-sized businesses manage the impact of COVID-19. It covers actions you can take to be prepared should one of your employees test positive for coronavirus. It also covers other factors you should consider, including employee compensation, if your business is required to shut down due to the pandemic. There's lots happening now in real time. Go to Trinet.com and get the information you need to protect your business. Trinet will continue to post the latest as recommendations as legislation is changing on a daily basis.
That's really exciting for sure. And in those early days, were you focused on the go to market? Were you doing a lot of sales? And if so, you know, what were some of the the first early wins or first large clients you got that let you know, okay, we're definitely on to something big here? Yes, I was doing all of those things <laughs> and writing a little bit of code, uh, which sure. thankfully I was able to get some great people to join me who were much better at the code writing than I was. But uh, I would say the first thing really early on, like the the starting point that that truly got things lit up in terms of getting some customers. I was on a flight uh, out to the West Coast for a conference and I uh, was on uh, uh, my, my computer and put together this, this really infographic that showed how these things connected together and how ultimately if you did these things to connect into the lab data, you could produce this visibility. And a big part of it was if you were talking to a lab executive and you said things like, can you tell me something about who your most your highest volume customers are because the physicians are the customers of the lab. Or can you tell me how effective you are at uh, d- delivering on your service levels uh, to your most important ordering physicians? They didn't really have a clear answer on that. They didn't really have the context there, the concept of managing relationships with their provider customers. And as it turns out, I had a, a good friend who was an owner in a DNA lab. And I had this conversation with him specifically in my basement after I got back from this, uh, this trip where I was really just formulating what exactly Health Cloud One would be doing. And he was a, a longtime uh, business partner of mine and indicated that he would be willing to have us go put this concept in place at his DNA lab. And so we ended up building out the first version of what became HC1 uh, where it was able to bring in all this insights uh, about all of their different customers and the patients they were serving uh, in this rich, organized manner that made them a lot more efficient and made them a, a, a lot more effective. And so he was really our first, uh, I guess, beta customer. And then as it turns out, I was really lucky. I had a neighbor uh, who was the, at the time the CEO for Allier Toxicology, which doesn't even exist anymore. They've been acquired uh, since back in those days, but uh, Allier was the largest drug testing lab in the country, I think in the world actually, and they had grown through acquisition. So they had this same problem in spades of we don't have a good handle on how we're servicing our customers and it exists in all this lab data if we could organize it, but you know they had 10 different databases and different formats and so they might be serving a customer like for employment drug screening, for example, like a customer like Walmart, they might be serving out of multiple different labs that they had acquired. And so those labs wouldn't even be very coordinated. Uh, So really those first two relationships were very much, my focus was getting those initial customer relationships using some diagrams I had put together. And heck, you know, we would be out there having a conversation with the client and then getting back to the office and building what it was that they were asking for. Sure. Much like uh, you know, other stories you hear, it was a matter of listening really closely to the customers and getting those first couple of customers to give you the input and, and then just building it from there. But even with the early customers, it, was, uh, it wasn't an easy sale. So my major focus, though, absolutely was getting those initial customers, getting that feedback, and then starting to get larger scale lab data. 
And I think the, um, the experience with Alir was incredibly valuable because they had such a large base of, uh, of customers. So it gave us some scale that we really needed to get. And we've had a series of relationships like that over time now. Another major win early on was uh, one of our board members. At that point, I had built a board of connected folks who were very smart in healthcare. And I got connected to a massive lab company called Sonic Healthcare. And they bought into the concept and were one of the first kind of large scale uh, relationships that was national, more in the clinical diagnostic lab space. So my focus very much was on how do we get those customers? How do we get it right with the product? And how do we deliver on this value proposition initially in the lab space so that we can grow that out into more of the health system and health plan space? It's fascinating. And as you're looking at the data sets that you have now and machine learning models and everything, they're sophisticated, they're large, you're able to do things that, you know, five years ago, you couldn't even imagine, I'm sure. What does the next five years and the next maybe 10 years look like for HC1 and is specifically, you know, what does that look like for the end consumer who is uh, probably more in a frightened state now than they've ever been? Uh, what does that mean for healthcare at large? Yeah, so for healthcare at large, I think what it means is we can bring mass personalization that allows every patient to be served like they're the most important patient. So think about the level of care you would want for your mother or father, or spouse, or whoever, um, you know, for yourself. Uh, They're just with a seven-minute physician visit, which is the the generally understood average time that a physician is able to spend with each patient visit, and all of the patients that need to be served, there just isn't enough time in the day for even the smartest, most well-intentioned physician to deliver the level of personalization that's needed. So the power of this uh, application of machine learning that HC1's bringing to the world is that it allows every physician and every healthcare professional to rise to the level of the most effective uh, set of specialists and be empowered to make extremely targeted, informed decisions, and to be empowered to be engaging with and investing time into those patients that can most benefit. Uh, If I have several hundred thousand or even over a million patients in a given patient population, there's just no way to know whether all of them are getting the right diagnostic testing to set them up for the best possible health care pathway. There's no way to know how many of those people in that population are on medications that might not work with their unique genetics. With our platform at HC1, what we've created is this ability to identify those areas where the physicians and their and pharmacists and other healthcare professionals can best focus their energies to get people the care they need proactively. So if you look into the future, I think there are two major sides to this. One is the side of personalizing the diagnostic process and the therapy process such that every individual is getting the best possible outcome. The other side of it is how do you bring together all this data at scale, which is another key part of HC1's strategy that we're delivering on today, so that you can sense and respond to major issues 
that relate to public health. And we're living through the most unprecedented example of that right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. And HC1 is uniquely positioned to support health systems and public health in the battle against that to mitigate now this uh, disease that can no longer be contained because we have the lab data that shows uh, in a live environment where the testing's happening, how fast it's ramping up, and what kind of positivity rates there are, what kind of negative rates there are as well. You know, what is the total testing that's happening? And so I think what's happening right now is the world is realizing front and center just how critical it is to have predictive machine learning powered capabilities and how critical it is to be sensing and responding to the needs of the public to have access to the right kind of diagnostic testing. So fast forward, what I would anticipate seeing from HC1 in, uh, God forbid, another situation presents itself where we've got the spread of, of a new novel virus, HC1 has the power to sense that way early and predict it and be ready and help equip the nation what's, with what's needed to be able to, to best deal with that and, and really uh, ideally contain and, and even eradicate you know, those kinds of issues uh, in a manner that is really unprecedented because of the fact that you can identify these patterns automatically in a way that no one human could ever deliver on. And then the one additional thing that's worth mentioning is, imagine how many people are out there who have a great fit with certain more um, experimental treatments and being able to better understand where those people are, uh, you know, that's something that I think we have a really uh, great opportunity to help make a, an impact on as well. Um, so there's a whole bright, huge future. Uh, we could work for a hundred years and not get all of the ideas fully executed on that we've already got. But the exciting thing is today uh, we're impacting healthcare in such a specific, practical way for so many people. In fact, in 2019 alone, we informed personalized uh, healthcare for about 84 million individuals uh, in, in the U.S. So it's it's big and it's getting bigger, and we're thrilled to be able to help make the world a healthier place where we can all be confident that we're going to get the kind of personalized care that we need and really deserve. And, and really that, that should exist in a world that has so much potential, but ultimately just hasn't had the breakthroughs in healthcare yet that it needs. And we're here to go deliver on a lot of those breakthroughs. Exciting times. And as you're delivering some of those breakthroughs and synthesizing that real-time data, how is that used to inform or are you informing some of these uh, visualization maps like the Johns Hopkins one is uh, probably one that people are familiar with to track the virus and the spread. Are you thinking about visualization? How are you thinking about uh, getting that information out or sharing it with the larger healthcare industry? Yeah. So we have a team actually focused on this as we speak that they've been working around the clock and doing a fantastic job. And so what, what the Johns Hopkins uh, heat map is showing, which is an, an amazing resource, is, is what's being filtered through the public health uh, departments in the CDC to get down to showing where we're seeing positives and, and that sort of thing. The focus that we have is, is more of a, um, the kind of service that is accessible to the healthcare professionals and, and public health individuals through more of a, a login 
process where it's going down to the high fidelity insight on all the testing activity that's going on across our lab network in a a real-time manner, and even being able to look at their specific health system and seeing uh, what's going on with the testing in their health system. So it's sort of going to a a couple of levels deeper that uh, requires a degree of health care sophistication and, and an understanding of epidemiology. So that, that, but there is a visualization included in that. Um, and there is the ability also to, to slice and dice and filter on that data. One of the major solutions that HC1 provides in our whole uh, recipe of making sure the right patient has the right test and the right prescription is a, a set of lab stewardship or test utilization capabilities that we deliver uh, into the market. Uh, we've partnered with some major players. Uh, we've got a strategic partnership with Quest Diagnostics, which is the largest diagnostics company in the world, actually, to bring this to their uh, base of clients that's already looking at what the utilization is of the testing that's occurring across the population. So here we're expanding upon that with the COVID-19 focus specifically, and then also bringing together more of a broad national view across our whole lab network, which is de-identified, but shows you, okay, in these areas, we're seeing, for example, there are this many lab tests that are happening now, and we're seeing this many positives, and then we're seeing that this is moving over into this next state as well. Uh, So absolutely, visualizations and being able to slice and dice are a big part of this. And while the Johns Hopkins and others have great public-facing services, we are continuing to stick to our strategy of informing the healthcare providers themselves in a very detailed way so they can best direct care and, and also know what's coming so they know how to prepare for it. Brad, when you think about your career at maybe from a broad standpoint, what is some of the best advice that you've received or learned that you continually pass on to others? So one thing that I think is really important is it's, it's just as hard to do something that's really small as it is to do something that's really big. So if you're going to dedicate your life to a business, Dedicate it to something where it's, it, it has the potential to be really big, where it has the ingredients, where it's the right timing with the market. There's a big need for this to where when you explain it to somebody, they're going to intuitively say, man, that is something the world really needs. And it took me a while, you know, going through the school of hard knocks to fully understand the difference between an idea that you're excited about and an idea that can be really big. And, you know, once you're involved, I think the other thing is to realize that there's no silver bullet. Uh, It it is a million steps in the right direction. And no one decision is going to be the decision that that creates the big breakthrough. Um, People get very enamored with fantasizing about, you know, being Mark Zuckerberg sitting in a dorm room and coming up with this website for, you know, dating or whatever, and it turns into this mega business. And, uh, you know, if, if that's how you think it's going to play out, you might as well just go buy lottery tickets because you're, you're much more likely to win the lottery than have sort of a random chance situation happen that puts you into, you know, that kind of stratosphere overnight. It's going to take time. But if you have the ingredients, if you're focused, if you're persistent, you definitely have a chance to go do something that's meaningful. And I guess the final thing is to do your best to associate with and be around the kind of people that you want to be like. And, you know, people who 
have achieved a certain measure of success, they tend to be the kind of people who genuinely like to help empower others and want others to learn from their experiences. And then I guess the one final really tactical thing that my dad, who was a banker for his whole career and had a fantastic career, became a CEO of a public uh, company and uh, just really was a, a great role model for me, although I'm in the entrepreneurial world and he was in the banking world. So we had a lot of interesting <laughs> dialogues, you know, there, but, you know, go into a business where there is recurring revenue. He used to say, go into a business where you can make money while you sleep. And I never quite understood what he meant when I was a kid. Uh, but having been through building companies where they were more driven by, say, professional services, which there's a great need for professional services and people who build those businesses are absolute miracle workers and they should continue to do that because we need it. But for me, in terms of the kind of enterprise that I would advise somebody to build if they want to go do something big is look for those opportunities where there is recurring revenue and where the value you provide is going to continue to matter you know, to your client uh, now and well into the future where you can truly innovate and partner together. It's not the old school world where you try to sell something and then you move on. It's truly something where you're aligning with great customers. There are a lot of other things that I've learned over time, but those are some major items that, uh, you know, it would have been great 25 years ago if somebody had just sat down and said, hey, here are the exact things that you should do and you shouldn't do. But a lot of it, you just kind of have to learn. It's like you don't know uh, how to get somewhere until you've actually driven there. Exactly. So no matter what advice you get, you'll, you're just going to have to get out there and do it. And don't be paralyzed by analyzing for too long. At some point, you just have to get traffic on the road to find out where the potholes are. Wise words. Brad, thank you so much for being generous with your time. This has been an awesome interview and congrats to everything at HC1 and best of luck as you continue to fight the epidemic that's going on now. Uh, I'm seeing positive trends in the data, though, that suggest we are starting to get a handle on it. And I hope you all are too with what you're seeing. Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, I'd say I know a lot of your listeners and your focus is on people who do want to do big things and just the sky's the limit. Make it happen. Uh, my my father-in-law uh, and advisor, mentor I mentioned earlier, he always would say, uh, life is not a dress rehearsal. Like you're in the show. Uh, so it's time to perform. So, you know, wake up every day and uh, think of it that way. And, and I think that can lead to some great things. And certainly with respect to the pandemic, we will get through this. We will get to the other side of this. We will all be stronger for it. The uh, United States will be more prepared in the future to be able to respond. And uh, there are lots of really smart people who are working on making sure that that's the case. So, you know, and, until you've actually gotten into a situation, sometimes it's hard to think through all the ways that you would address it. But there's no doubt in my mind that we're uh, in a country and in a world where we will absolutely solve for this and, and we'll all be uh, better for it as we get through it. Couldn't agree more. Brad, thanks for joining us. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Have a great day. By now, you know that Trinet is our sponsor for Mission Daily. You know they have amazing full-service HR solutions for your business. So what are you waiting for? When you go to Trinet.com to get more information, you help support independent media like Mission Daily, and you help support our team here. And you, as a business owner or HR exec, can get top-notch service from the team at Trinet. Stop worrying about HR issues and team up with the best, Trinet. You don't have to go at it alone. Reduce your worry. 
You need a team and Trinet is your go-to team for HR. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.